Hi, and welcome to The Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And welcome to the end of summer uh, mailbag episode. (laughs) But before you ask us anything, uh, Sarah, Sarah, what do you have to say before before we get asked questions? Okay, listen, we're we are a dawning of a new era, right? We're in the bad bitch era. And all I have to say is some of you are in disbelief that you are, in fact, a bad bitch and deserve bad bitch things. Mm hmm. What I would like to say is other people's insecurity is none of my fucking business. But, uh, Matt, I've, I've started dating what is colloquially known as a fucking smoke show. And unfortunately, <laughs> this has brought out a lot of other people projecting their personal insecurities on me, which, um, you know, st- story of my life. You, it's you know so much me. fun. I mean, what what could be possibly be better? And I just have to say that we all bring insecurities, baggage, past experiences to our relationships. Mm -hmm. And we all deal with the fundamental question of, am I good enough? Right. Mm -hmm. And if I have to ask the question, am I good enough? As universally, we all do as human beings, at least I'm going to be a little bit insecure about a motherfucking American hero with a goddamn triangle torso who works out with a Soviet-style overhead pull-up bar in his backyard who could drag my limp body out of a burning building, not some pasty white ass, doughy motherfucking, cube farm animal, beige baggy Coles polo of a man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can have them all, honey. You can have them all. Yep. If you don't want a baddie, don't get a baddie. Yeah. If you're not prepared psychologically, sexually... If you do not, in fact, know what that mouth do, no one is forcing you to get your own baddie. I can handle one. All right. Welcome yep. to welcome to Merle Acres. It's a stud farm. Yeah. And you and you've been you've been working on this plan and training for this moment. I have. This is what my whole life has lived up to. I have a long string of barrel chested daddies yep. and other people's inability to not handle A whole stable full of studs is not my motherfucking problem, and you can keep all that fucking mess to yourself. Thank you. That's all I have to say. Let's move on to our first question. All right. I love that. Um. So, uh, (laughs) I, I have to say. Yeah. The, the, the incredible variety, the subject matter variety is out standing on this particular mailbag episode you guys what are we calling them can we call them stewies the stewies the stewies are a fascinating group of people and all i want is for us to get big enough so that we can have an excuse to have a con so i can get all you fucking weirdos in a room together i love it yeah i have to say that these are the stewies really outdid themselves uh (laughs) this time from the names uh, you all gave <laughs> to the actual questions themselves. Um, so to start this, this is uh, from Joey is the goat. Um, so he asks, and I practice this. So Sarah, how you doing? <laughs> uh, you know, first of all, Hi. Hi, Joey. Uh, I I agree. Joey is the, of all the characters, of all the friends, insufferable friends, he's the most 
sufferable, I would say. Uh, and, uh, you know, if this is how you doing, I'm, uh, listen, whew, boy, howdy. Can't complain. Let me just say that. Certainly can't complain. Certainly won't complain. Uh, if if this is a if this is a come on if this is a uh, if this is a how you doing in the like you know shoot your shot right I I have literally some some meatballs and tomato sauce on the stove as we speak so I would say you know put your best Sicilian foot forward and and shoot that shot baby you yeah, got, I- your competition has never been stiffer no pun intended yeah I do have to say this this probably should have been sent in earlier. Uh, yeah. in previous mailbag episodes, because I just you know, Joey, you seem you seem like a guy who is taking your sh- your chance, but uh, you know, unfortunately, this ain't eight mile. Yeah, yeah the um the 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 league the league the league the talent on the field mm-hmm. is like never before, and I just. Yeah, you I got promoted you'd... to a higher division, so you know. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. we're we're we got we got the D one D going, uh, <laughs> and and I would say I would say prior to this, I was already rocking D one D. Like I don't want this to sound, you know, like uh, like uh, listen, listen, life advice for everybody. Truly, you got to be willing to be alone long enough to wait for that which is really going to wind your crank. And I didn't find some real crank winders until like my early 30s. And I had great relationships before that. Like lovely people, lovely men. Uh but boy, it, that it do be hitting in your 30s. Lord have mercy. Yeah. I, I I do have to say that like so one of my uh like um I guess like guilty pleasures are reading um, like the relationship posts on Reddit yes. and they are, some of them are fake. Some of them are, are you know, obviously <laughs> rage bait, but I do have to say the general overwhelming theme is a lot of y'all are just like afraid of being alone. So you yeah. just either enter into or uh, stay in relationships that are entirely constructed out of red flags. <laughs> Looks like a FEMA tent. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and like, oh, fuck. I just have to say that just that like part, I guess for me, at least part of growing up was just being happy to be by myself. And what that means is that like, when I am ready to, you know, like wander back out there and be like, Hey, you know, I got some space in this life for a person. Like, um, uh, I, I'm not like, I'm not looking for someone to like desperately bandage my wounds, yes. you know? Yeah. Um, so we're not just like bleeding all over each other. Instead, yeah. you know, we're just, you know, doing fun stuff, doing, doing the, doing the good, the good parts of life. And uh, that's, that's way better than just, you know, than just suffering together instead of alone. <laughs> Most of y'all, when you uh, listen, I, that's, that's like a very intentional thing that I did in my twenties. Like I started, taking all these different classes. I remember I took a belly dance class, like thinking like I was going to learn some sensual moves Instead, it was a room full of fresh divorcees. And I was like, wow, this is a lonely place. And what I learned from that experience had nothing to do with belly dancing, but that if you build your life around another person and they leave you, you're, you don't know who you are anymore. Yeah. And it's this devastating process to like find yourself again 
And all these women in this class in their 40s and 50s had like wrapped their lives around a husband Mm -hmm. who, you know, to quote Miss Ann Perkins from Parks and Rec, uh, I became exactly like you. And then you got bored because you don't like dating yourself. (laughs) That's a really good way to put it. It's a really good way to put it. And like, I think a big part for me was just saying like, not constantly trying to become somebody else for another person, just being like, look, I'm I'm not going to ever be the guy who like wants to go clubbing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's like, just, it's just never going to be me and that's okay. And if you're looking for that, then like, you know, best of luck, like move along. Yeah. Um, you know, no hard feelings and taking it the same way when someone, when, when someone wants something from me that I just, that I am not the, the right person to give that to them. In the yeah. long term, because the point is, like, you can fake anything for a little <laughs> while. Right? Yeah. Uh, we're Matt, you and I are about the same age, and yeah. we're, you know, we're going through our first round of friends going through a divorce. Like, you know, they're... And yeah. who... You, you change a lot from your 20s to your 30s, and... Personally, we've I've mentioned it before, but I'm a I'm a actively no kids person. Like I'll step parent all day, but ain't nobody coming out of my hoo ha ever. <laughs> uh, but like part of that was because like if I wanted to do that, like if I if I wanted to have kids, I wanted to give them what I grew up with, which is my two parents co-parenting in the same house, right? And uh, by not having kids, you do get to open yourself up to you know, the ability to explore relationships a little bit longer and like, you know, hang with people. And anyway, none of this has anything to do with the yeah. mailbag. <laughs> that's good. Uh, th- that's all right. Joey, we used it as a, as a jumping off point. <laughs> <laughs> but- Joey, Joey, shoot your shot. Uh, and, and you better, I mean, not to be threatening, but you better come hard with the jokes and you better be real clever and you better be like very specifically like kind of autistic in a way that I have to find fascinating. And I I just mean (laughs) the competition has never been stiffer. Good luck to you. Good luck. Good luck, Joey. (laughs) All right. So this is from Crunch Cake. Have you two seen Barbenheimer? Please share your reactions and hot takes. You've seen both of them. I have only seen Barbenheimer, or I'm sorry, Barbie, but uh, uh, please, please give me your hot take. Well, let's just start with Oppenheimer briefly because I have less to say about Oppenheimer. Um, And also because, because you haven't seen it yet. So I've seen Oppenheimer a couple times in IMAX. I have to say, see it in IMAX. It's one of, like other Nolan movies, definitely benefits from uh the superior size and sound system um great film uh horrifically misunderstood by most tech bros <laughs> yep i did like the tech bros being like you know i really hope wish it had been more uplifting and i'm like uh. <laughs> one guy's like i thought it was going to be the avengers of science i can't mad i can't I can't go on. Sorry. No, no, that was like, (laughs) I just, I, every time I think like Silicon Valley can't get dumber, they like, like not only did they have that thought, they then like decided that it would be really good to, you know, transmit (laughs) that online to millions of people. Like, Oh, like I'd be so hideously embarrassed. That's the sort of thing I might've said when I was eight. And like when I hit puberty, I was like, man, I was an idiot when I was eight. <laughs> Great film, see it. 
like a lot of Nolan films, plays with time. Uh, you have yeah. uh, you have fantastic performances. I think Emily Blunt in particular yeah. uh, does a magnificent job. Um, Florence Pugh is like in like everything now. She also yeah. is wonderful. Uh, Killian Murphy obviously is is amazing, Ugh. but like good, great film. Uh, one of the better films probably going to come out this year. Not as important as Barbie. So Sarah, oh, you saw Barbie. What are your thoughts on hot takes on Barbie? I loved it so much in a hundred ways I could not have anticipated, mm. which is um, like I wept like a child at the end of it. Um, and I'm going to do it on the podcast right now. Yeah, like yeah. there, it was so funny. Like it's so funny. I don't want to like so funny. oversell how moving it was to me, like, and make it sound like a serious movie. God damn it. It's so funny. And like, the choices that they make to combine kind of kid brain with like a movie that actually works like with real actors is so fucking funny. The weird Barbie, like, uh, like they just, the choices, Greta, I just think Greta Gerwig is a genius anyway. Mm -hmm. Like I loved, um, Lady Bird. Was that, that's yes. what it was called. Mm -hmm. Yes. I loved that movie so much. And, I generally think that she's a genius when she talks about like kind of girlhood in a real way. And like, it was such a beautiful, like the scene, you know, I'm going to cry. I'm 36 and I'm thinking about Barbie, <laughs> crying about Barbie on the podcast, Matt. Uh, and like really loving like glamorous Barbie. Like I love Margot Robbie. I love, you know, like just because I'm not a perfectly thin woman doesn't mean that I don't live in the fantasy of Barbie, but also went through all those same things that the little teen girl was talking about. Just like, is this what I'm expected to look yeah. like? Like, is this the only acceptable femininity? And just like, Oh my God. Like the, the part, you know, if you come away from that movie and you're, your impression of like the men's side of things is making fun of men. It is in fact, um, it's very sensitive to how limiting traditional masculinity is and how much it alienates you emotionally from your partners. Yeah. And um, I just thought everything about it was so, so good. How like these traditional roles alienate us from ourselves. And the reason that we love Barbie so much is like you know Barbie I'm crying about Barbie on the podcast Matt um, like Barbie's life was never about being a wife or being a mom Barbie's life was about Barbie yeah. and that was really meaningful to me as a child that Barbie could be anything and having that reflected in the movie and, and watching that be kind of consumed as as the patriarchy takes over Barbie land was like, please go see it if you haven't gone yeah. to see it. It's so beautiful. Anyway, go ahead. I've cried no. enough about Barbie on the podcast. I, I, I also cried during Barbie um, that it is the first thing that you notice from it is the sheer density of jokes. Yes, like, yeah. Right. Both both verbal and visual like it is a movie that's that feels almost like the same pacing as an episode of 30 rock in which yes case, you know those jokes are flying at you like every half a second and yes. some will hit you differently the first time through than the second time through it's really worth rewatching. yeah um because there are just details that you won't get the first time around yeah. um 
but uh, like you so i have had a different relationship with barbie obviously as a boy i knew that barbies weren't for me so i never really played with them i knew that girls had them but i didn't have a direct relationship with the barbies and it wasn't the type of play i like to do anyway yeah um I was a much more like run around in the woods, like get get muddy, <laughs> fall into a pond sort, yes, sort of kid, yes. um, which most people weirdly don't uh, expect from me. But like <laughs> that, 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 that really is a lot of what I did. Um, but I, I think, I think that what you put out there is that like Barbie really does have a great deal of affection for sensitivity, not just for its female characters. Yep. That anybody who says that this is a man-hating movie is just <laughs> fucking missing the point, right? Yes. Um, and there is there is a really deep understanding, like Gerwig has always had, of um, the impossibility of being a woman. Yes, yes. Of being a girl, of being a woman. Yes. And this is like brought out, I think, the most keenly, at least the most, at least the most didactically in America Ferreira's monologue. Ugh. Right. Also, you forget, like, you know, you and I grew up with America Ferrer playing uh, Ugly Betty. Yep. Uh, and, uh, you know, she, like, there is this funny emotional thing, too, of watching, like, like the the actors who are children growing up and then playing a mom in the movie. And, uh, you know, she, there's this really beautiful, uh, it, we can say this without spoiling it, like, yeah. Barbie land and real world are interconnected and they're interconnected when people play with their Barbies. And, uh, you learn that, um, like our, our Barbie, our perfect, you know, regular, beautiful blonde Margot Robbie, uh, Barbie has been dreaming about this, about a girl playing with her and the girl is having thoughts of death, which is how Barbie starts first having thoughts of death. Yeah. And then you, you know, you think it's, it's, it's America Ferreira's daughter. And then of course you find out it's her. And it's like, that was a really beautiful through line of the movie about how like play connects like, and and this is like a human thing. Like play is so essential to us, like coping with the impossibility of life itself, regardless of your gender, you know? Yeah. And and how, (laughs) you know, especially for, I think for children, it's often hard, and this is something that the daughter does manage to do, uh, to imagine your parents as children themselves who've just yep. grown up, right? Yep. But still carrying all of that hurt and pain and joy and growth and, and triumph, right? All of the contradictions bundled together. And, like, what we got to see was stereotypical Barbie, like the Margot Robbie, right? Yeah. Go through, going from a static character right? Who has always been the same in a world that's always been the same, like actually learning to grow and change and become different. Um, And as a man, like to me, like this is, this is something I think, you know, that was directed to the women in the audience, but uh, the Ken, but you also see the same growth arcs with all the Kens. Yes. Right. That they, for the first time have to learn who Ken is when he's not with, barbie yes right not as a reflection of barbie like it's not barbie and ken what is ken who is ken who is when ken he's without just barbie ken? Yeah. yeah um and that's a really important thing i think for everyone but that it not just in relationships but in yeah. in general like a question of like who is a man without his job 
without his job, right? Without right. a role as a father, without right. like all of these things, like who is, and you can insert your name in place of Ken. Sure. But like, who is Ken? Who is Barbie separate from, from these other things? And like, yeah. I remember, um, so I, I saw it with some friends and <laughs> when they did the little thing about depression, Barbie. Yes. <laughs> she like leans over. She's like, that's me. <laughs> like, we've all been depression, Barbie. Like when my niece says like, and Sarah, when you're an adult, like, can you just like eat ice cream for dinner and like sleep whenever you want? And you don't know how to say like, yes, that's when you know you need to get on medication. Like, yeah. it's, it's not nearly as much fun as you think it is in practice. Uh, and I was like, I've been depression, Barbie, too. Come on, let's, let's be serious. Yeah. And like the thing that that I loved, you know, about especially about the Ken uh, storyline is like, I think that that moment of like who am i without these like signifiers like and in the same way like barbie for women like we went through this if you've ever had like a gen x female boss they like tend to culturally feel very very defined by their job right and it's like that was the first generation to get like a truly fair shake at like you know being hired and working up in the workplace you know um and i think you know who is ken without barbie is also reflected in like who is Barbie without whatever Barbie you yeah. are, right? Like yeah. stereotypical Barbie, like everybody knows a person who is really beautiful and then struggles mentally with getting older, just mm-hmm. like aging out of being stereotypically conventionally attractive, right? Like every single person struggles with who am I outside of this defining characteristic? And like no matter what, I hope that if you see it, you get at least that much out of it, which is like, uh, you know, making room for the complexity of other people. And I mean, I say this as someone who had to learn that lesson about men. Like I grew up with this very, very reductive concept of who men are and what men want and need. And then to like realize that all my relationships prior to like the last five years were really unsatisfying because I just like dated simple men thinking that that's as much as I could expect from them. And then you're like, there are lots of men who are like, actually I'm a very complex, like I have, there I've got a lot going on in me. And I'm like, son (laughs) of a bitch, you really do. Uh, And I think also the big thing is uh, that I loved about all of it um, was that, you know, it's stereotypical Barbie who like ruins the party for a moment by like saying, have you guys ever thought about death? Right. Yeah. It's not weird Barbie at that moment. It's stereotypical Barbie. And, and I think that Margot Robbie, first of all, she's amazing in yeah. this, that, um, you know, she, she, her first like major role that I think most people knew her in was like Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Um, but then it's always been good to see her since then demonstrate what an intelligent and oh. nuanced performer she is yes uh, in addition to being dropped dead gorgeous like that doesn't yes. hurt but that is not what carries this movie there are a lot of people who look like barbie who could not play this role right oh my god they're like and even on that note like you are struck by how beautiful she like you said like you know they do all these really really tight shots on margot robbie's face and you're like fuck like so that's what like being mathematically perfect looks like, but also like, you know, actors and their big faces and their big facial expressions. Like she acts the motherfuck out of this movie. She mm-hmm. acts the shit out of it. 
And you feel like there is a moment where she gets like cussed out by this little kid, like who's like, you know, you're teaching us like consumerism and like you're part of the plastic waste problem. Just like you are everything that's wrong with right now. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and Barbie wants to like find her and help her. And she's just like crying in her stupid pink outfit. And you're like, have that moment of like, Oh, you hurt Barbie's feelings. Like you couldn't have done that without her acting. Exactly. And like, it also what I like about all of them is that like they are all beautiful people. Yeah. But it show but it is it's not enough for them and it's not enough for us either, right? Yes. They're not perfect because they're beautiful. Yes. Right? And yes. that doesn't solve all their problems. It does none of those things. And when Barbie sees everyone, right? When she sees yes. older old people, when she sees other Barbies, when she sees other Kens, what she sees is the beauty in them, which yes. is what makes her such an appealing main character. Um, That's the part that when I truly fucking lost it was at that moment when it's like the thing that attracts Barbie uh, to the idea of being real is like all the imperfections, right? Like all of the terrible and great and wonderful, but like all the complexities of like feeling human and living an imperfect life. And that is like, that's, that speaks right to my, my jaded Buddhist heart of just like, yeah, man, you just gotta like sit in with all the human experiences, like good and bad. So like what makes the whole thing? Like I was, I was hiccup crying by the end because it was just like, it's actually, it's a surprisingly, it's a surprisingly spiritual movie. I'm just saying. It, it weirdly in a lot of in the way that it plays with its themes yes. it reminds me a lot of uh everything everywhere all at once yes um and also Bo is afraid um yes. in very different ways obviously all three very different movie movies yeah but like surprisingly and shockingly uh emotional in ways and at moments that you don't anticipate um and all I want to note, all three are also standalone films, which is lovely. Yes. Um, that there's nothing you need to bring in. No yes. knowledge other than your own bad self. Yes. Um, and, you know, ma- and snacks. And then also some tissues. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, that's that's great. I love I love this. Uh, go see the, the both Oppenheimer and Barbie. If you haven't, if you need to just see one, see Barbie. Um, it is the movie we'll still all be talking about um decades from now it is and it also is the only one of the two that caused a worldwide shortage of pink paint (laughs) all right Uh, (laughs) this is from uh from sts19 don't know what that stands for um (laughs) it's i'm terrible at dates Please give me good ideas for fall dates so I don't die alone. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Matt, uh, we, you and I are in uh, slightly offset arcs of like dating people. Mm -hmm. And I think we've had a lot of conversation. By the way, uh, what was that Friday night that you called me? We were literally on the phone for the length of time it took me to wash, bake, and then twice bake again a whole bunch of potatoes. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But we were talking about dates, and uh, I think my my eternal advice is the same, which is everybody wants to feel like the other person's listening. Mm-hmm. That's really all it boils down to. Like, you need to listen to 
like you need to listen to understand and not listen to respond, right? Like, mm -hmm. especially as you get older, like things like being the funniest person in the room are not as important. And sometimes some of y'all are so important about getting your goddamn type five in on dates that you stop listening to people and you're just listening enough to make a quippy joke about it. <sighs> yeah. Um, <laughs> the first thing is, is that like, the best thing I can say is like, do some, make sure the date is set up so that you can talk. Yes. But you don't have to talk. Correct. Yes. Um, so it needs to be a situation where you can take comfortable silence together. Yes. If it, if it works or we uh, it's often when doing something else for a moment. Yeah. Um, and also if the other person is trying to share something with you, you can actually hear that and respond in a way that your, your attention's not being drawn in 83 different directions. Um, and so like, this is why things like movies are generally bad dates when bad you first, are... Bad first date, yeah. especially. Yeah, when you're first getting to know someone. Yes. Um, because you're sitting in comfortable silence, that's great, but you can't have a real conversation. Yep. Um, and it's a long time, so often it can like <laughs> sort of take the momentum yes. uh, out of the experience. I, like, my first date... I hardly ever really think of a first date as like a first date unless I'm like, oh, it's fucking on, motherfuckers. Mm -hmm. uh, like a first date is truly just sit down and get to know you. Like I never go to a loud bar. I usually make, meet up for drinks, even though I'm not much of a drinker. Alcohol does loosen up the vibe a little bit. It does make it easier to like chat a little bit, frankly. You don't have to mm -hmm. do that. I've also had amazing coffee dates. Like, mm -hmm. But you need to go somewhere that's quiet enough for you to talk and face each other and sit somewhere that's comfortable. So, like, truly think about how good the seating is and the lighting is like an old person. And you don't want to be want it to be, you know, don't make it a club. Don't make it a place with, like, live music that's altogether too loud. Your first date should be about whether or not. Listen to me. You guys don't listen to this part. Whether you like them. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like. We are so concerned with avoiding uh, our re rejection, you know, that like, it's just like, oh, I hope they like me. Bitch, do you like them? Yeah. I think that's the biggest, uh, I would say that's the biggest thing. You need to be able to see, do something or be in a situation where you can make that assessment. Yeah. And that's going to be different. And, and STS, um, that's going to be different. It's going to depend on what your priorities are, right? Yeah. So like, if you're sportier, Right. Don't do something that requires them to sweat too much, but something <laughs> that, you know, you can see how they deal with playing a game or a competition. Like someone who is sportier asked me to like play bocce with them. Yes. Perfect. Right. Perfect. See if I was a rage monster, if I started losing, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. It gives you some useful inf information. Yeah. Right? Like, it, like a low, a low entry level version of the thing that you like to do. Right. Like, um, and I, I would also say crucially the like activity dates, like I would, the first, like one, at least first date, certainly the second date, um, you know, it would be. Like the, I always say drinks first date, do a dinner the second date. Mm -hmm. Like just know that you can like sit down and sit at a table with somebody and, you know, enjoy their company. And also if they have absolutely buck wild table manners. Yeah. I mean, how people treat servers. Yes. 
is a big deal. And just in general, seeing people interact with bartenders, servers, and yes. anyone in the service industry, like, if they're rude for no reason, like, no, just drop that shit. It's not worth it. Do you think we can get Benny out of the room? Yeah, we. I, I am working on that right now. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I have to say that uh, Benny is mad that we did not choose um, his question uh, for the mailbag episode. Uh, his question was not actually a question. It was more of a demand. It was, give me treats. Give me treats yeah. now. Please yeah. give me treats. Um, but yeah, he's very mad we did not include that. He knows that we've we've skipped over it. Um, and beyond that, I would just say in the fall, there are also some fun fall things you can do. There yeah. are like, um, there are uh, like uh, all sorts of like pumpkin patches, apple picking, yeah. cider stuff. Yeah. Again, those are a good combination. You can walk around, pick apples, pick pumpkins in sil- in comfortable silence, yes. go on a hayride. I can only speak for myself as a lady mm-hmm. uh, and as an introvert, which like, I really like getting to know people. Like I really, I truly enjoy dating. I don't know about you, Matt, but like, I, I just really enjoy getting to know other people and, you know, just kind of having these secondhand experiences that I never could have had without my interaction with this person. And I love dates where, you know, you both get to show off like a hyper interest or like, you know, like if you're, for example, I love plants and trees. And so the apple picking and pumpkin picking thing would be really fun. And if you're like a doer, if you're like a crafter, then you could go carve them together. Or if you're like a cook, you could go pick the pumpkin, make a pie out of it. You know, there's a lot of ways that you can just like combine your interests. See, I, and also what's good about those is that they have a story arc. Yes. Right. So if you spend the afternoon picking apples or picking pumpkins and then you go home and you carve them or you bake something together, right? You've created a little story for yourself. Yes. Right. And then because you've been active in the whole day, then after dinner, like it's just more natural to then like debrief about what you just did. Right. And then things go from there. But I think that's something is thinking about it as like a tiny little story. Yeah. I love that. Right. And so... I think that you, the idea of cooking together is always good. Yeah. Um, because there's one, somebody who once told me that uh, a relationship, uh, marriage is just texting each other. Do you need anything from the store back and forth until you die? Uh, um, and not so wrong. like, yeah, not wrong. And so you're going to be cooking and eating a lot of meals together. Yeah. And again, that's also a situation where it's low stakes. Yeah. Right. But you also get to see how they deal with teamwork working cooperatively and then also with inevitable disappointment and fuck ups. And for me, so like what you eat together, like you said, like that will become the central pillar of your relationship. Mm -hmm. And so like, uh, it's, I love cooking with someone and you find out a lot about their diet. And like through that, you can find out like, you know, about like their, I don't know, relationship with their body over time. Like, you know, like i I prefer to eat most of my meals that are a little bit lower carb because I find that controls my blood sugar. And it turns out I met a lovely gentleman with uh, type one diabetes who was like, Oh my God, me too. And it's like, that's a big deal. Like mm-hmm. sharing the food that you're, cause you're not going to cook two dinners. Like over time, if the goal is to, like end up together, you're not going to cook two dinners. Uh, and secondly, if it's kind of an indulgent thing that you're cooking together, like seeing how someone deals with things that quote unquote violate like their, 
healthy food rules or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Like, I mean, I, I honestly did this once because I had a sneaking suspicion that the guy that I was with was dealing with like some disorder mm-hmm. eating. Mm-hmm. And through cooking together, I found out that he simply cannot abide by violations of his food rules. And that is a deal breaker for me yeah. because that's not a workable, that's not real life. Right. And yeah. so no matter what, like cook, cook something that is something that you would eat every day and then something that you wouldn't eat every day and just like, see how that's, see how that goes down. I I love that. And and it's okay to try something new. If, the, yes. if, if, even if it fucks up again, they're good. When you're in a relationship, not everything you make is going to be good. Um, <laughs> Like I remember in one, we tried to make naan from scratch and it was God awful, but luckily the dog liked it. Benny liked it. So he ate it. Um, and like just laughing about it and be like, okay, that failed. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll make some rice, you know, like, <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I early on made this lovely gentleman, um, some kofta, which I made the, the mixture was way too wet and way too mm. loose. When that bitch hit the grill, it was just like it might have it might as well have exploded. Like it just like fell apart immediately. Like it got all stuck to the grill. Like and I apologize. And like he was like really trying to scrape it, like trying to do everything he could to like, you know what I mean? Like keep it whole. Yeah. And I reserved enough to like fry it off into pans. So it was no big deal. But yeah. like that is exactly the kind of fuck up that is like a really good way to see how the other person handles fuck ups. I love that. That's exactly it. And do they start blaming you? Do they blow up? Are they, <laughs> are they on, or they just treat it like, Hey, we're on a team together. Let's figure out how we're going to salvage this. Yeah. I think that's yeah. great. And um, again, it's, it's just pay it, Think about not just what you like to do, but what they like to do, like yeah. figure out what their speed is. Pay attention. I take <laughs> notes. I know this sounds awful, but I take notes um, that like after a date, I, if they mention something that they really Perfect. like doing or th- something they really don't like doing, yeah. right. That I will just, I have a little word document. And I just add that in. Yeah. Um, and it's just useful over time that you accumulate, um, those sorts of things and it'll, it'll guide you on your path moving forward. So STS, best of luck. You won't die alone. Um, or you will die alone because we all die alone. Um, Truly. yeah, but it won't be because of dating. all right so the next one is from johannes borg uh who is your favorite roman emperor and why is it diocletian um listen if you're gonna come at me with um a roman emperor question i'm gonna uh, sit down because let's talk about some roman infrastructure because i am horny for an aqueduct let me just say that the single greatest <laughs> infrastructure project the world has ever seen, perhaps next to the channel itself. Okay. We moved water while respecting farmlands, cemeteries, as was laid out in Roman law. We already had a, uh, 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 eminent domain before eminent domain existed. And actually, that was a project of multiple emperors, but it started like the 300s, like 300 BC. Uh, and again, one of the most mesmerizing and amazing, you should go to uh, Italy and you should tour the spread. This is my dream. Listen, this is my dream. 
I want to go on a toilet tour of ancient Rome. I want to start with the oldest <laughs> toilet and move to the newest toilet. We went to Turkey. We went to uh, Ephesus in Turkey. Mm-hmm. And our guide took us to a group toilet. And you just hang out in a room together and shit. And then they like slew us it down and it goes to a mm-hmm. thing. You know what? That was at the time the height of modernity in shit. And I love hey. it. It takes it away. Like that sounds very sanitary. Um, so if you're if we're if we're talking aqueducts here, so then you really have like three big choices. So then you have Trajan, Augustus, or Caligula. <laughs> so oh. I'm assuming Caligula is out. You know, who doesn't love a, a little chaos goblin occasionally <laughs> for for a man in charge? Yeah. Now, what's fascinating though about Caligula is like how much of these sort of like famous nut jobs you can chalk up to potential, just straight up heavy metal poisoning. Like he might just have had so much goddamn lead coursing through his system. Uh, Fun fact about uh, lead over the years is lead was used in uh, not only as like vessels and pipes, but also just to sweeten up wine, just like get the sweet notes out of it. Just drink it. Just drink it. So, yeah, I mean, I I would say, first of all, it's definitely not Diocletian. Yeah, no. I just have to say. Um, Because uh, Diocletian was great. He set up the Tetrarchy. Uh, He was the, I've I've written a a sports article about him. Because he was (laughs) the only Roman emperor to abdicate while he was still alive. And he went to go farm cabbages. Beautiful. Yep. Uh, but that did set up the uh, uh, a war for succession uh, sure. between because um, the tetrarchy there are four emperors there are two senior two junior so there was uh, Diocletian and Maximian as the seniors and then <laughs> Maximian's uh, uh, son was uh, the junior emperor and then there was Constantine Constantius later Emperor Constantine yeah. as the other junior. Um, so that led to a war between uh, uh, Max, uh, Maximian's son and Constantine, which Constantine won. So Diocletian did some good things, right? He stabilized the empire. He did some. Uh, he created the new system of governance. But the way he abdicated and the system he set up collapsed and caused a civil war. Constantius then turned the Roman Empire into a Christian empire. Not the greatest thing. He also tried, Diocletian also tried this weird shit with price controls that utterly failed. <laughs> so the question is, if you are rating R- Roman emperors are kind of like pitchers in baseball. There are two ways to rate them. <laughs> There's either who has the most career value, <laughs> meaning over the, the entirety of their reign, or who has the highest peak, right? On a, like a per year basis. <laughs> yeah. Right? So like it's the uh, it's like the uh, Nolan Ryan versus Sandy Koufax yeah. <laughs> argument, right? So I am for emperors. I say for emperors, there are there are two answers, but I'm going to go with peak because I just want the emperor who like every year did the most good shit, right? <laughs> Even if it was for for a short time, right? Who's like who fucking got the most done? And there's. I think there's one obvious winner, and that's uh, Aurelian. Um, oh, sure. He was an emperor from 2070 to 2075. He was an emperor for five fucking years. Yeah. Right? But this is during a time when it is, like, 
barbarian invasions, internal civil war and strife, right? The empire is falling apart yep. under Gallienus, right? And then Claudius Gothicus becomes emperor and then Quintilis rules for three months, right? Every shit is going down. So then <laughs> Aurelian takes over in uh, May 27, uh, 270 yeah. and then wins Battle after battle after battle after battle after battle. He beats the Alamanni. He beats the Goths. He beats the Vandals. He beats the Jathungi, the Sarmatians, and the Carpi. And then, and this is all in the in the span of less than five years. Then the entire eastern provinces are collapsing. He fucking wins uh, wins a war against the Palmyrene Empire, right? Then he swings back around west, goes to Gaul, which is uh, now France fucking reunites that shit. So now both the East and the West are reunified. He builds the Aurelian walls in Rome. Yes, named after him so that the city of Rome can't fall again for many hundreds of years. Uh, And then he gets assassinated. God damn. Yep. He gets assassinated because he will not pay off the Praetorian Guard, who were the, Mm. the, the guys who, um... Uh, uh, the guards, the the royal guards who um, uh, guarded the emperor. Yeah. And so he's literally in Thrace, going to Persia, right? Going to Persia, going to cross into Asia Minor. And he'd been cracking down on corruption, right? And one of his secretaries uh, uh, is afraid of his own corruption, so uh, then the Praetorian Guard are worried they're not going to get paid off. They think they're going to get punished uh, for being corrupt motherfuckers. So then they murder him. Well, And they immediately all looked at each other and went, whoops. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I, I, in this moment, I am just now realizing that my great, 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 and on and on grandfather, uh, Alexander the Great, uh, in fact, ruled a large kingdom, but yeah. none of it was ever uh, Roman. Mm-hmm. That it was just sort of alongside. Yeah. And so right. that's another, I mean, Alexander is like classic peak value, right? Yes, yes, right? yes. And so I just say Aurelian solidifying the empire, rescuing it from both financial and military ruin, unifying the East and the West once again, getting the Aurelian walls built, and then for all things, getting assassinated for fighting corruption. And then even the people who assassinated him going, oh, man, we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> like, it's very hard to think of a better five-year stretch of rule um, than Aurelian. Like, again, I'm not casting shade on Diocletian, right? I'm just going to say Diocletian had, like, a firm 20-ish some odd years. Um, and then the empire collapsed in his absence after he stepped down of his own accord. Uh, Aurelian, you know, like maybe he would have burned out. Maybe he would have become a, 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 a maybe he would have become a tyrant. But you know, for peak value, I think he is the emperor with the most peak value in Roman history. I think he's the Sandy Koufax <laughs> of Perfect. Roman emperors, and also an awesome name. Aurelian Perfect. is a yeah. great name. I love this. I love this. Uh, I love this reasoning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Next, next question, Matt. All right. So this is from Nope, Nope to Pope, <laughs> <laughs> which is just fantastic. 
where should I live so I don't die from climate change? Boy, howdy. Do I have a great deal on some Hoosier real estate for you, uh, which will soon be waterfront over the next hundred or so years. So something to look forward to. I think, I, I mean, I'm with you there. I think anywhere in the middle. Yeah, come on up. Uh, Indianapolis is actually the highest geological or geographical peak in the state. So you can just like sit up here on this hill with us. Um, summer here sucks goat balls for fucking quarters. I feel like I should tell you guys it's, it feels better at 100 degrees at 110 degrees in Texas than it does here at 93 degrees where it literally feels like you are just inside someone's mouth all the time. Yeah. I have to say the humidity does make it rough in the yeah, summer. I, w- I would say maybe inland Michigan where you can still get a little bit of uh lake breeze. Uh, mm. I got some friends that moved up to Minnesota and North Dakota. They love it. So you got to like them colds, but at the same time, you know, you can, I find it's easier to get warm when it's cold than it is to get cool when it's hot. Um, Cause at some point you're just, you can only cool 20 degrees below what your air conditioner is. Mm-hmm. So if I would say, come, come on over, come over here to the middle. Uh, weeds becoming weed is legal in Michigan. The prices cannot be beat. Um, mm-hmm. I'd probably pick Michigan myself if I had to pick the Midwest again. I think those are excellent choices. I would also say like, Maybe something around the Rockies. Oh, yeah. Right. That's all going to get a little bit warmer. So the winters won't be quite so bad. But I think you're dead on. That is easier to get warm than it is to get cold. Yeah. Um, And especially since uh, if we're worried about electricity, stuff Mm -hmm. like that, you know, then go somewhere that you might have access to fuel sources um, that are other than electricity. Um, If you're really that worried of dying of climate change. And I would just say, like, go as middle and as high as you can. Yep. And dig in, figure, dig yeah. into the earth. Get uh, my my folks have a new build house, and it's becoming standard to put in geothermal. So they just bury a shit ton of pipes under your house and blow the hot and cold air, and it cools or warms the ground. And it seeps back up into your house. It's pretty neat. I think that's fantastic. And the, the more established you are, the earlier you do it, the easier it will be because you won't have to do it all at once when everything's already collapsing around you. Yeah. You get a head start. You don't need to build some weird ass bunker shit, right? That like, <laughs> don't worry about that. That like, that, that you're not going to have to worry about, you know, a zombie apocalypse or something like that. Yep. It's more going to be like a slow decline um, and that you can hedge against. Like, basically just don't buy waterfront property. Don't buy waterfront property. Um, definitely make sure that your house has a basement so you have a place okay. to go or like a storm cellar. We're, by the way, we're these are not jokes. In case you think that we're joking, neither Matt nor I are kidding. Uh, I live in a place where the storms have become infinitely more violent. Um, I personally am also looking into getting my power lines buried so that uh, my power can't be blown out as it has been. Um, like... Um, just make sure you have a place, uh, ideally if you're going to update your roof, a lighter colored roof reflects heat. So if they will let you, if you don't have an HOA and they'll let you put on something like a white metal Mm -hmm. roof, like powder coated, um, that would really actually be the ideal thing. Insulate the motherfuck out of that bitch. Yeah. Like insulate your, um, uh, your attic, like, uh, do something that's blown in. There's like really simple, quick, easy ways that they can blow in insulation, put up some reflector, some mylar, um, and, 
you know, let's all take a moment for all the uh, climate scientists who are also screaming into their palms at this moment. Yeah, I I completely agree. And basically, don't turn your home into a convection oven. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, and you'll and you'll be fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right, let's move on. All right. So uh, the next question is for MySpace Tom died for our sins. <laughs> Why is Vivek Ramaswamy? Listen, girl, I, fuck, man, I don't know. Like, I went to a private school, like a private college fancy schmancy prep school, and anybody wanted to be like a white man. And I understand the, you know, it's like, back to a Gen X. Have you ever worked for a Gen X woman as a boss? Like all they want to be is a white man. Like not, not all that's I'm painting with yeah. broad strokes. There are plenty of Gen X women who are fantastic, yeah. but there are a lot of Gen X women who like, can't imagine leadership outside of the white male models. And yeah. in the same way, like there are so many people who, you know, Ramaswamy is looking at as looking at the cards that are available to him. Right. Like it's mm-hmm. like, Honestly, a lot of the, a lot of faces, people of color have made these calculations, which is like, can I break through the static of a lot of people who look like me? Or can I go over here where ain't nobody looking like me and everybody's going to remember this brown face, you know? Well, that, that, that makes me want to say like Tim Scott learned on the debate stage very early <laughs> that there's a reason why other black people are not trying to make it in the Republican Party. <laughs> right brutal um like yeah the line is shorter it's because the product is much much worse um (laughs) and and he you know he seems my man seems bright this is what like like you can't hide dullness or brightness you know what i mean like mm -hmm. and my man's got a light behind his eyes that i'm like this motherfucker knows exactly what he's doing You know, like so Vivek is the reason I did not join an Asian fraternity in college. <laughs> um, right. That like I am not going to be a second class white dude. Yeah. Right. Uh, this this is what he's going for. Right. <sighs> that he and, and he knows what he's doing. He knows <laughs> that he's like. He's going to be a tech bro. He's going to be the brown tech bro. He can be. Uh-huh. It reminds me of uh, one of my friends when he was thinking about rushing fraternity. There was like the rich white fratty boy, uh, uh-huh. like a preppy boy fraternity who was like, oh, Sergio, you can be our new token. <gasps> you know what? At least the racist will just tell you, yep. you know, <laughs> And he was like, uh, no, thanks. But there's always someone who will take that up. Who's like, sweet. Right. Yeah. Um, that That's Vivek. That's yeah. Vivek. He's like, he looks at Peter, the Peter Teals of the world. He's like, yeah. you know, I can get breadcrumbs from those tables. And those yes. tables have enough food on them that there would be a lot of breadcrumbs. Um, but why is he? Because he's a shameless opportunist. There you go. Uh, because he doesn't actually believe anything other yeah. than uh, people paying attention to him. But just like anyone who went to a good school... Uh, but this is particularly in grad school, I think is also true is that there's so- going to be some motherfucker who didn't do the reading, but won't shut the fuck up. Correct. That's Vivek. He yep. hasn't done the reading. He's not interested in doing the reading. He will no. never do the reading, but he does think that his insight is more important. 
And the reason that you know that he's not done the reading and doesn't care to do the reading is he has chosen the most nuance-free, brain-dead, like, quote-unquote positions. To call it a position is even offensive, because that implies some sort of thinking about your position. But, you know, like, the fact that he went on the debate stage in 2000 and goddamn 23, after Texas froze enough, and the ERCOT uh, power grid was just like, nah, and then Governor uh, Abbott's like, listen, I know it is getting hotter. I'm going to go ahead and lower the required amount of water breaks for uh, outdoor construction workers. Uh, a lot of people have died since then. Just you probably have already figured that out. Um, but to say that is kind of like um, <laughs> it's kind of like being in a in a ring with a bull that's snorting and pawing and being like, frankly, bulls, I think, are a myth. And yeah. uh, um, I think uh, bulls goring people is a myth. Um, and everybody is around you looking like, oh, no. No, dude. Like, and also, like, so his proposals just scream Elon Musk syndrome. Yes. That he's like, I'm going to fire 70% of the uh, federal workforce. <laughs> like Elon purged uh, the, the company formerly known as Twitter. Right, yeah. the, or maybe she called the dumpster fire, formerly known as Twitter. Yeah, um, and like it's one of those things where like you have that you know, it, it, or, or anyone who thinks that solutions to complex problems are simple, who's yeah. like, we just need to do this, we just need to do that. It reminds me, there's an XK, XKCD about like engineers running across and the social sciences. It's like <laughs> if I make a model that just makes all sorts of basic assumptions and ignore these complicating issues. The problem's simple. The solution's right there. <laughs> we talk about this all the time, which is like actual workable solutions that people can use and do are often the least sexy, like takes generations and iterations. And, you know, you got to get like buy-in and, you know, like, uh, I, I, I just think that whenever, whenever someone you should, a person presenting extremely simplistic solutions should come to you, should come across like a cure all. Like mm -hmm. if someone says, Hey, listen, you just do a shot of apple cider vinegar in the morning. Uh, your ED done. You will lose weight, like heart disease gone. Like, right? so like, true. like if, if anyone is coming along saying like, listen, I'm going to give you the most simplistic solution and say like, it's super easy. Like, Obviously, duh. I had someone once try to convince me that celery extract oh, no. could cure cancer. No. Celery extract. No. And you know and what's... Yeah. Again, what's frustrating about all these things is, like, people hear that, like, oh, like, this drug is derived from... Right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, so I'll just going to go back to the the source and just drink the celery juice. And it's like, oh, but you're skipping a bunch of science in the middle, <laughs> man. Like, <laughs> So I remember when raw veganism was a thing. Oh, yeah. They're like, well, you know, cooking removes a lot of the nutrients from food, which is Opposite. technically true. It yeah. is technically true that some of the nutrients are lost during the cooking process. Yeah. But what it ignores... <laughs> is that nutrients become more metabolizable. So the actual amount of nutrients your body can extract goes go. up, not down through cooking. 
Yes. So it is the area where something that seems simple turns out to be much more complicated. Yes. Um, and if you make a simple model, even if it's based on a true fact, it won't act in the real world the way that you want it to. And go. it makes for a good soundbite. Yeah. But Vivek is what happens when you basically only ever read the headline of a, a, a of like a white paper <laughs> and you never read the rest of it. Yes. Um, and then that's your entire education is doing that a lot. Um, so he is in a lot of ways, like a perfect amalgamation of all the reasons why I hate a lot of other people from like Ivy league schools and whatnot is just yeah. like, uh, they need to shut the fuck up and listen to people who have a real um, understanding. But you know, it's a hell of a lot easier to market a catchphrase than it is actual knowledge. So, you know, obviously I'm better at marketing my thing. So I, who's the smart one now? Nerd. Uh, nerd. <laughs> nerd. All right. Uh, let's get, let's have a little more fun. Uh, from Muttface3000. <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm happy it's not from Mutt Face 2999, because fuck that guy. Um, growing up, who is your celebrity crush? Who is your celebrity crush today? Boy. Ah. You know, I, I like a lot of uh, ladies my age, was just like a regular old NSYNC stan. And I, mm. and I, what? and I rotated I... through all of them, except for, uh, sorry, Chris Kirkpatrick. They did you so dirty on your hair. They did you real dirty. <laughs> and Joy Damn, Fatone. that's cold. That's cold. Joy Fatone only because he looked fully like the group's like representative dad. Like he seems like the person who would like call and make all the reservations. Um, once someone you know. pointed out that Joey Fatone's last name was essentially fat one. Fat one. Yeah. I could, I could never unsee that. <laughs> Mean, I know. Fate is I mean. Know. It's um, awful. Uh, but now, now, I don't. I can't say that I have like a ton of like celebrity crushes because I don't pay that much attention to like celebrity culture. Though the people, the 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 crushes that I have are all based like in their unspeakable fucking talent. Like I will mm-hmm. forever be horny for Sam Rockwell because he's a scene stealer. Yeah. Like. He's not even like a by any means a perfect ten of a man, but like he can he will any movie that he's in he steals a scene like he was just as good he's just as good in serious movies as he has in goofy action movies like when he played the villain in the Charlie's Angels movies, um, but uh, also a lot of my celebrity crushes are people that are like old or about to be dead like uh, Harrison Ford but thirty years ago you know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those, but those are, I mean, those are the classics. We are, you know, uh, when it comes to like Harrison Ford, it's like, if you're going to hit that, you know, now is the time. You're, you're, sure. You're, <laughs> I also like, have to fully admit that, like, I would bang, I would bang Dick Van Dyke at any point in history, including today, right now, as he creaks and groans under me like an old, like an old bridge. <laughs> But no, that, that's just, you're just looking for someone who's classic, right? Classic. That I do. I do. Mm-hmm. I like a classic man. Like, I really like uh, a man who is, like, 
being super handsome doesn't actually really matter, but like, what you got going on? Like, are you cool? Like, do you, are you cool? <laughs> this is again, like, this is what all the incels don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it was funny. There was this, like uh, one of those uh, articles about like, I think I can't remember which website it was, but it was clickbait. It's like, this is the one surefire thing to like develop attraction. And I'm just like, I bet it's being funny. Always. But also yeah. when I, when I think of, when I think of like what makes someone attractive and this is like, regardless truly of like gender or like sexuality or whatever, like when I have fantasies about Megan Rapinoe, despite largely not being attracted mm. to women, it's Megan dressed in, like mask lesbian attire who is standing so close to me that I, I, we could make out and she, she's just like letting this tension exist because that is what actual confidence is. Yep. And I'm dying and I feel like I'm dying slowly um, because I want this person so bad and they know it and I know it and no one's going to acknowledge it. We're just going to sit here in this God awful tension. Oh my God. But the only one who's uncomfortable with it is you. She's fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she's like, no, I know what you want. And you're like, I'm going to die. 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 Yeah. <laughs> These are good choices. So I w- always had a lot of celebrity crushes as a kid. Obviously way fewer <laughs> now because I don't pay as much attention. But um, the one that always kept coming back was uh, Allison Hannigan, um, who played Willow and Buffy. <laughs> yes yes um for a lot of reasons um girl next door right like she's like cute and she's pretty but like she seems like approachable exactly also smart yeah smart nice um yeah and just seemed awesome uh and i think that was the biggest thing is that like she's also someone i can imagine even if we broke up we could still be friends it would be it would be totally fine she just (laughs) really cool to hang out with and she's someone that if you asked her out and she wasn't interested she'd be cool about it and you know she wouldn't she wouldn't embarrass you or humiliate you yes she was so allison if you're out there i I know you're married (laughs) and have kids but just like just know that uh you provided an excellent uh role model for me um growing up and and these days uh you know the one person who keeps coming back actually i had this conversation with a partner of mine where it's like you know who's gonna be your celebrity cheat and uh she chose um (laughs) jeff goldblum which is amazing also an excellent choice um and i said uh (laughs) I said Jennifer Lawrence. And she's like, you can't have Jennifer Lawrence. And I said, why not? She said, because I think that you and she would actually really get along together and she'd be a lot of fun to date. (laughs) So it wouldn't be a one-off thing. (laughs) Oh my God. I do have like a couple, like when I think of, okay, so Tom Morello is one of them. Mm, Like mm -hmm. unbelievably talented guitarist, like super hardcore activist, like, uh, this is only going to hit on the musician side, but he writes all of his music in F sharp minor and he writes all of his guitar parts on a nylon string Spanish guitar. So weird. weird, But like, if you're a musician, you understand how fucking number one, how fucking weird that is. But like, I don't know. There's something like I talked to this guy on Sunday at this market where he was, he carved things 
And I was like, we got into this conversation. So I was hanging out with my friend's kid who's six. So mm -hmm. I, by the way, I went to, I was absolutely hanging out with this six year old. She's cooler <laughs> than I am. And we were chilling. <laughs> But this guy shows me his favorite tools. And one of them is a dart that he has cut the end off of and like sharpened the tip of it. Anyway, a master with all their weird master habits and tools is very sexy. Yeah, that cracks me up because I write all my guitar parts on a three quarter size travel guitar. <laughs> I love it. And um, the reason is, is that it's just easier to play. So yeah. I can just sort of like noodle around with things and figure out the proper way to play them and even write stuff that I personally couldn't play properly yeah. uh, at full speed, but I can at least do it on this smaller guitar. That's easier to play um, while I'm doing the songwriting process. And I set up a, like a dummy recording for a better musician to record the actual thing for me. <laughs> um, so I think every, yeah, I think every musician has those sort of weird, uh, weird habits of like just fucking works for you and you just like, generally don't want to tell anyone else because they'd be like why and you're just like I I started doing it when I was 12 and I continue <laughs> <You know? laughs> see I think that all of these are are, are, are are excellent choices and like you know for my k-pop stands out there um, like I, I was asked once, like, you know, who's my celebrity crush in, in, in K-pop industry and I'm not going who's age appropriate. I'm just saying like, this is just yeah. a, who I admire most. And the answer is Soyeon from G idol. Cause she's a genius. Um, so Soyeon, I know you're single. Um, so if, <laughs> if you're out there and you're listening, like hit me up. <laughs> All right, let's move on. All right, this is from Light Brandon. What are the best and worst trends in porn? Do you think porn addiction is real? Uh, let me start with the second question because I think that's yeah. much more interesting than making a value judgment about trends in porn. Yeah. Um, which is like, I do believe it's possible to set up uh, addictive chemical cycles in your brain. Mm -hmm. I think addiction is too loaded of a term to apply to porn. And I say this as like, I would probably call myself like a heavy to moderate porn consumer, like probably mm -hmm. certainly more than most women, I guarantee. Mm -hmm. um, but like with all things, like harm from stuff comes from a lack of contextualization, like harm from porn, especially like if you exist in any fantasy world. And I say this like, you could become quote unquote addicted to, if you will, uh, romance novels, right? You get kind of oh, lost yeah. in this like fictional existence and mm -hmm. you can kind of get addicted in that sense to kind of anything. And uh, I would say that if you, you know, like literally if you can't get off with a partner without porn or if you, you know, find yourself having like uh, erection dysfunction because you just can't do it or something like that. Like I, I would, I would try to cut back in that situation. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like if it's interfering with those parts of your life, like if you're consuming it at work, right. Yes. In inappropriate situations. I'm like, yes. Like, yeah. Then, then I would just say, you know, this is something to talk to a therapist about. Um, yeah. But other than that, like, or if it's interfering with your actual sex life um, with a partner, again, talk to a therapist. But beyond that, like, I think people often like try to pathologize things that it just are different from what their baseline is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so in terms I of, generally don't, I wouldn't worry about it. I wouldn't worry about it 
Right, exactly. If you're, I think consuming it in inappropriate context is also uh, an important sort of signpost. Um, and I know that a lot of people are all bet out of shape about like that there's all like the step sibling porn. And I, I think like this is sort of my soapbox, sort of like everybody's kind of panicked about this thing that I think has a pretty reasonable explanation, which is like, I think that as Americans, because this is a particular like American porn phenomenon, mm. um, like we feel very emotionally alienated from our families and within our families mm -hmm. and uh like you know i am attracted to men so when when i do pull up my weird step porn whenever it pops up it's like you know it's a it's a daddy thing because that's mm -hmm. you know that's my sexuality and also like because like i grew up in one of those households where sex shame was used as a means to control you know, I mean, there there really yeah. are some, like, true risks in, right? Like, we all know that, like, the AIDS crisis happened. Like, yeah. you know, things can happen, right? Like, an unexpected expected pregnancy can really turn your, your world upside down. Mm -hmm. All those things are true. Um, but, like, a lot of people, my folks employed shame as a way to sort of push me away from that and imbue a sense of shame about things in order to, you know, it's kind of like um, aversion uh, therapy or yeah. something. Mm. And I think instead what they ended up doing, and I think a lot of people can mirror this experience is like, it just made them an untrustworthy person to talk to mm. about some of this stuff. And mm -hmm. so I think the way that that transposes as we get into our own adult sex lives is like, that is what it feels like is like, a de that is what the desire to have greater emotional intimacy Mm -hmm. often um, ferments into when we can't even put our finger on the fact that that's what we want, you know? I also think that st uh, like the step stuff in porn is also like it can, for people who are into it, like that helps, but a lot yeah. of it, it's not any different. They never say it explicitly. It's just in the title. Exactly. And yeah. I think for people who aren't into it, they can just ignore it and act like it's not there. So yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why you see it everywhere is that it's one of those things where if it's your thing, that'll add something. If it's not, then you, you just overlook it. You act like it's not there. Yeah. Um, I, I, I personally, it's, it's not my thing, but again, like it's, I don't, I don't judge people because fantasy is fantasy. Right. Um, I'm not going to, again, like, they're not murdering anyone. This isn't snuff, you know, like right, it's, right, right. It, it's, it's fine. Um, there was a, one of my friends who's done some adult work said that her least favorite trend was the oil trend. Yes. <laughs> so messy. Yeah. Cause it's just so fucking messy. That was just the biggest <laughs> thing. She was just like, I don't mind it in like everyday life. That can be fun, yeah. you know, but she's like, but if it's every scene, it just adds more cleanup. Like it's just, a bigger pain in the ass and more planning and like, you know, it's just, just you always have to come with an outfit that you're ready to just throw in the trash as soon yeah, as you leave, you know, ex exactly. I, I'm very personally, I am super pro fantasy. Like, yeah. like nothing to me builds intimacy that exploring my fantasies and exploring my partner's fantasies, because like it is the sharing of the fantasy that is where like the actual vulnerability is heightened. Like doing it is an extension of that. Like I trust you sharing this thing that like might have be a cause of shame or whatever. Like, so for me, I really, I consider porn as like, um, 
you know, like my bro, my bro Mm -hmm. in the seduction and sexual pleasing arts. And uh, it's really useful for like, you know, personally, I thought, for example, I thought that I was into kink because I thought that I liked impact play and um, um, like ropes and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I played with it and found out that that's actually not what appeals to me about kink at all is entirely in the power dynamics and the trust and the vulnerability and the communication. Uh, But I'm really glad that I explored that. So it's not like a thing that I wonder in my mind and get obsessed with, you know? Yeah. And this is actually something I don't see a ton of, but something I want to see more of is I think it's categorized as like soft Dom. Yes. uh, Yes. In which like there is definitely power play, but it's always done in a way that is very loving and caring. And the aftercare is also included in the porn itself. And I think, um, for a lot of people, that's like the best part yep. of any sexual interaction is the yep. sort of care and the aftercare. And so I think it provides a much healthier um, framework to think about power yep. dynamics and power relationships, what they look like in a healthy relationship, whether it's romantic, sexual, or both. Yep. Um, and what it means to to have, to get and give power in a way that is respectful Um, and loving. And, uh, I also, I, it's also something when I watch personally, I'm just like, oh, I can see my life in that more and the emotions that I actually feel, um, much better reflected, uh, yeah. In the content. If not for porn too, like I would not have understood, like I've always felt most comfortable, Again, dominant was not the phrase that I would ever apply to that role. It was like kind of like being the cruise director of pleasure more than anything. You know what I mean? Like I've got my schedule. I've got like all these options of so many fun things that you can do while you're on the SS pleasure Merle, you know, like, uh, and let's just have fun, right? Like, let's like have a lot of fun, Um, which, you know the only depictions of that that I saw in porn at first were male dominated, heterosexual, heteronormative, man is the dominant woman is the, and then like, because of porn, I discovered what is the category is mommy doming. Although like calling someone mommy is not necessarily part of it, but it's like, it's, it's like a really soft, loving, caring, um, desire to bring pleasure to your partner in a way that is that they are in control of but like Mm -hmm. you are facilitating if you will i think that's the the good way to put it and the way that i see it is that like a lot of men in particular mistake dominance as taking what they want yes um while i think what soft dom shows like is that actual dominance is identifying listening to and giving your partner what they want, even if they personally can't articulate it. Yep. Right. And that level like of attention and care, and then also expertise and mastery, right. That to me is what really makes that sort of play. um, I think, you know, that, that sort of play, like not just about, you know, sex per se, but about, you know, but emotional intimacy as well. And I think it's would be for a lot of people who have this really like restricted, I think kind of sad and brutal sense of their own masculinity. Yeah. Um, I think they would actually find a lot more fulfillment in 
um, this in redefining their ideas of dominance and masculinity in these. Yes. Um, personally, I say better, but I think in these different ways. Yeah, I would say probably healthier ways, right? Healthier like, ways. Yeah. That domination is not necessarily about kicking all the doors down and stealing what's inside, right? Yeah. All right. So second to last question from ABCDEFG. <laughs> if Donald Trump and Joe Biden were not running, who would you want as the presidential candidates in 2024? Uh, just two warring cyanide capsules. Uh, one can be automatically implanted... One can be already attached to a tooth, like a crown, mm. uh, and the other can just be like a dramatic vial, like the guy who got tried at um, at the Hague and just like poisoned himself, like right there. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that works. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> cyanide, cyanide vial, twenty twenty four. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I'm gonna be honest. I, as many people who know me, know I'm a T- Tammy Duckworth stan. Yeah. Um, and uh, I would want Tammy Duckworth to run yep. in 2024 um, on the Democratic side, on the Republican side. I don't know, just not a Trumpy person. Yeah. Like, this is how low my standards are, is like, I would take anyone other than someone who's like made themselves MAGA. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, you know. We have our dream candidates, right? Like in my dream, I want Mama, I want AOC to be mm-hmm. president. Um, uh, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say I wish Kamala Harris had not been a dud, but she has been a dud yeah. largely. Yeah. Um, there is a comedian that does an impression of her that's so funny. Um, and she just released a video that was like, Mitch McConnell, girl, you don't need to get up to answer questions. You need someone to take you to the hospital. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I think I'm with everybody where it's like, I really want progress. And I know that I live in a country where a solid third of it have been programmed to associate any government safety net with communism. So I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. Like, that's a thing that like, uh, on the Republican side of an actual Republican, I i mean, who do I want to run? Someone who'd yeah. lose? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. If like, that's, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's not a satisfying answer. <laughs> I, I would love if um, the RNC trying to shore up their reputation, put a woman or a woman of color or a, any face of color up and all the racists just didn't. They're like, no, that's yeah. what don't you understand about why we vote for this party? And then they just have to see a crushing fucking defeat. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I've said this over and over again, and I still believe it, that Donald Trump is a death knell of the Republican Party because no matter what, they're fucked. So yeah. anyone less exciting than Trump, anyone that's not as much fun to watch be a fucking prick on the national stage, dead in the water. Right. Yeah. And that's everybody but Trump. Yeah, I I agree with that. Like, uh, honestly, like you could put up virtually any normal Republican, and they just bleed too many votes from the MAGA base. And so, like, I don't I don't particularly care uh, who the Republicans put up because they're probably going to lose, and yep. they deserve to lose because they did not fight hard enough to oppose Trump, and uh, now they're reaping what they sow. Boom. All right, so let's close this out strong. 
All right, from Socrates. What important issue have you changed your mind about and why? I love that. Thank you, Socrates. Uh, So I I have a really, I have a straightforward answer to this one. Go for Uh, it. When I was a young teenager, I believed strongly in the death penalty. Um, I really thought that, you know, for three reasons, it was a deterrent. It was cheaper than life imprisonment. And uh, I thought that it provided closure for victims and their families, for victims' families, rather. Um, It's not, none of those three things are true. Um, So when I was presented with the evidence that it, in fact, does not deter, actually places that have the death penalty after each death penalty that's done, there's a slight uptick in violent crime. Um, There, it costs more to uh, execute people. And uh, it does not generally provide more closure um, to victims' families. At that point, I had to be intellectually honest. This was like a big moment for me. I was like 16 or something. And I was like, well, these were my three reasons and they're all wrong. So I can either change my mind or I can try or I can just make up new reasons. Yep. And I changed my mind. That's that's the smart person's experience of cognitive dissonance. (laughs) (laughs) How about you? Uh, surprisingly abortion, like I used to, you know, my family's pretty conservative and I grew up like being pro-abortion. My family is always like, you know, abortion is healthcare. My family is medical professionals. So like they know more than anyone that like when shit gets fucked up, like sometimes you need an abortion. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. abortion care is part of the pregnancy experience, right? Uh, the experience of having a family. And I was one of these people that was trying to do the no abortion after X term, like no abortion after, let's say, six months. Right. I don't even Mm -hmm. know what my personal line was, but that, oh, like everything after that, like you should have to go through birth or, you know, whatever. Um, And now I am a radical pro-abortion person um, where that idea is based in not trusting women. The idea of like a term limit basis in not trusting women, you either trust women or you don't. Right. And like, I'm really lucky that I have incredibly patient, but like very convicted people who had the patience and conviction (laughs) to like sit down and explain this to me in real world terms. And I had friends who had abortions, like you know, in my mind, I was one of those people that was very taken in by this uh, misogynistic viewpoint that like, you know, you shouldn't get an abortion just because it's convenient. Well, convenient collapses a lot of personal, mental, physical, financial hardship, right? Like, sure, let's call it convenience. Let's give it the worst possible fucking name, right? Yeah. Um, and I had a friend in college who um, she was married to this guy and she got pregnant and as was like a whole conversation that they had had. And then he freaked out, left in the middle of the night, just like (sighs) packed a backpack, left a note, never saw him. Robin. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Um, fuck that guy. And it just wasn't possible for her to birth this. It just, there was no, she, she said like, it's not, they already had, she already had a kid. Like, it's not fair to this kid to stretch her already thin resources further. And, you know, it was not, it was not a sad, it was not a convenience thing. Right. But, you know, uh, abortion, whenever you need it, whenever you need it, wherever you need it, you know, like now, now I understand what the actual stakes are and, uh, 
I love women. I trust women. I trust birthing people. I trust whoever is pregnant to make the right choice for themselves and their bodies. And at any point, you know, uh, I, I feel really guilty for a lot of that. Um, you know, I also working with the DCS and adoption system, working Mm -hmm. on a relinquished adoption case as part of my job, which like is one of the most heartbreaking experiences of my whole life. And I can't, it really solidified the no kids for me. There are enough kids, Matt. There are enough (laughs) kids. They're fucking everywhere. You wouldn't, there are kids coming out of the goddamn woodwork. Um, And that there's just already not quite enough attention and resources to go around for the ones that exist. Um, And made me really respect the fuck out of some foster families because fostering is a difficult, difficult thing. Um, The adoption process is unbelievably expensive and red tape filled. And I'm not, and, and, and to be, to be, to recognize that adoption is not an alternative to abortion. Adoption is an alternative to parenting and uh, that birth, you know, America has the highest maternal mortality rate in the first developed world. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that I already knew birth was really complicated and dangerous. I had no, yeah. no concept of, of it in the real world. So abortion on demand at all times for everyone. Yeah. I love that because I, I like the journey. I think the journey you went on is something that uh, I really identify with that yeah. when I was younger, I often like Vivek uh, thought that the solutions to complex problems were simple. Yep. And the older I got, the more I learned about these issues, the more complicated everything became uh, until I, I wound up in the same place as you. I started learning that people generally are best at understanding their own issues and their own solutions. Yeah. And that like the goal is to let them make those, those decisions yeah. and then live with them one way or the other. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that's why I, I view myself as sort of a left libertarian I am very libertarian when it comes to social decisions, personal decisions, but not on economics because I think so much of economics is coercive and isn't about choice. It's more about power. So I think that's different than right libertarians who are fine with being extremely restrictive on people's um, social uh, lives and decisions uh, and their personal decisions, but want to like let just, you know, rich people and corporations do whatever the fuck they want without government interference. Um, And it's why I eventually identified as a left libertarian is because I trust people uh, to make decisions. And uh, I also recognize at the same time that power (laughs) and in the United States, power is usually money uh, uh, likes to restrict those things. Um, So limiting economic power is actually a way to increase personal liberty. Yep. Yeah. Uh, So please, I was going to say, um, uh, Lower on that list, but can I confess to believing with my full heart and soul uh, by my Reaganite parents that trickle down and not economics worked? Oh, <laughs> That's no. okay. Oh no! Uh, I, I mean, I have to say, I have when I first read uh, Francis Fukuyama's End of History and the Last Man, I thought it was pretty good. Um, but I was also like fourteen or something like that. <laughs> And then by the end of high school, I was like, what the fuck? You know, uh, Frank, really? 
Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I I'm with you. We we all get we we all get our things when we're when we're kids. Um, the difference is, unlike the Paul Ryan's of the world, we grow out of them. Yeah, you you read Atlas Shrugged twice, and the second time you're like, "What the fuck was that?" Yeah, I said I also used to like Ayn Rand, and then I turned thirteen. <laughs> Speaking of, but I, I want to talk about things that will always remain amazing. Uh, talk to me a little bit about Metal Honey. Uh, Metal Honey, uh, but we're thinking about changing the name. Uh, that's a little Ooh. Daria reference for all of you out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, Metal Honey, Hot Honey, we are switching over to plastic bottles, and I'm so Ooh. excited. Matt, can you guess the gram weight difference between an empty glass five-ounce woozy bottle and an empty four-ounce cylinder? I have no idea. That would be 125 grams. That is That's a lot of grams. Uh, a lot of grams, about a quarter pound. So yeah. uh, all your shipping rates are going to go down. I'm really excited about that. Uh, your, probably your individual prices are going to go down because we're selling an ounce less. I mm-hmm. promise you will not notice that it's, it's actually not an ounce, that it's not a full ounce difference. And more importantly, my friends, you can squeeze that shit out of the bottle now. No more waiting with it tipped upside down as the clock ticks and your food cools. I'm so sorry about that. Uh, you know what? You live, you learn. And anyway, that is super exciting. Um, yeah. And uh, so please go to metalhoney.com. Get that fucking hot honey. Support the show. What about you, Matt? Where can people find the rest of your stuff and things? You can find us online at the website formerly known as Twitter. It's at perpstew. <laughs> Um, send in your answers to any of these questions. If you, uh, wanted to comment on what we said, or you had a good answer to any of these questions, um, right. Like how I did Diocletian dirty. I didn't, but you know, <laughs> you, you can try to make that argument. Um, go ahead. Let us know. Uh, tell us your celebrity crushes. Like for all those people out there who like, you know, had a super big crush on like Jenny McCarthy and it's not like, oh man, uh, <laughs> like, please let us know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Never was my type, but you know, even I could not see how far that train would go off the rails. Um, like, Matt, let us she's know. not like she's not like other girls. Okay, she's on MTV. She's not like other girls. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that is true. Other girls vaccinate their children. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so please like, subscribe, share, uh, rate us, review us uh, on all the major platforms. It helps us with the algorithm and get the word out there. Um, But that's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you again to everyone who sent in your questions. It helps us a lot. This has been The Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And until next time, stay curious. Bye.